This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I'm Sierra Goodwill, Patriots insider for CLNS Media, inviting you to subscribe to our New England Patriots Press Pass podcast. Alongside myself, Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, and Mike Petralia, we provide inside access to the six-time Super Bowl champions from inside Gillette Stadium and everywhere on the road. Our credentialed insiders provide instantaneous news and analysis, as well as access to full press conferences from Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, Robert Kraft, and everyone else inside Patriots Play. Make sure to subscribe to New England Patriots Press Pass wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Drags and it's Wednesday, November 6th. Time for episode 323 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and as always follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS. This week I welcome back my buddy, my friend, my colleague. Evan Lazar, our trusted CLNS media expert covering all things Patriots in the National Football League. It was good uh, making the trip down to uh, M&T Bank Stadium with you, Evan. Uh, unfortunately for the Patriots, didn't end so great, and it was a long night. Yeah, it was a great trip for us. You know, not a great trip for the Pats, and I think we would have liked to cover a win better than a loss, but uh, all intents and purposes, good stadium, good city, just a bad outcome. I love that atmosphere there. It's like, to me, a lot like Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. Um, the, the fans there are very intense, very good, uh, very into the game from really just before the kickoff uh, throughout the entire game. Just a, a terrific atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really cool stadium. It's it's one of the bigger stadiums, I would say, that I've been in, just in terms of the amount of seats and how high up the stadium goes. And uh, it was a really cool atmosphere. And there were some Patriots fans there. There there were some moments where you could kind of hear them uh, cheering and stuff like that and some key plays for the Pats. Obviously not a ton of cheering the way that the game ended up, but uh, there were times where I thought that there were a little bit of Patriots fans in there too. Obviously very much overwhelmed still, though, by the Ravens fans. Obviously, the uh, Patriots uh, lost their first game in nine tries this year. They're eight and one. Ravens are six and two. Still think the Patriots clearly the best team in the AFC, and if you do, why? I think that they're probably the best team in the AFC for now. You know, look, I think the Ravens exposed some things about the Patriots' defense that they'll have to address during the bye week, but I'm not sure if there's another team in the conference that can replicate exactly what that game plan was that Baltimore had because they just have such unique personnel. So I don't know if it's necessarily something that teams are going to be able to replicate in some sort of blueprint moving forward. Maybe a team like Dallas could do what they did with Dak and Zeke. But other than Dallas, I don't see another team that's as complete of a running team as Baltimore that is on the Patriots schedule. So I still give the Patriots the edge. They're still built to be in a passing league the best pass defense in the NFL probably. And uh, I think their secondary is, is still the best in the league as well. So, you know, going forward here, though, their margin of error tracks has completely gone away. 
you know, with this loss and with Baltimore right on their heels now, it felt before the game like it was a foregone conclusion that the Patriots were going to win the AFC in the regular season. Now it seems like they're going to have a little bit of a fight on their hands. I thought what you tweeted out on uh, Tuesday was pretty interesting. It's rare to see the Patriots' defense so passive like it was on Sunday night. Um, really, the I thought the tight ends for Baltimore were one of the big reasons the Ravens were able to really control the tempo the whole game. Yeah, you know, they just let those tight ends come off the line of scrimmage without any resistance. Now, it's difficult to press a tight end, right, because you're in line on the line of scrimmage, so you can jam tight ends. You can certainly push them out off their routes and redirect them as they're coming off the line, though. So that was what I was expecting to see more of. Against a team like Baltimore, where everything is, first of all, a lot of misdirection, right? You got guys coming across the formation and motioning pre-snap and coming out of the backfield and sneaking out of different areas of the offensive line. There's just a lot of motion going on in the offense. And the way to really get motion and misdirection to stop that is disrupt timing. If you don't disrupt timing of a motion offense, what's going to end up happening is you're going to find yourself in a series of foot races with their playmakers, with their tight ends, and obviously with Lamar Jackson as well and Mark Ingram. And the Patriots just seemed like they were sitting back on their heels the entire game and reading and reacting to what was going on instead of imposing their will, instead of bringing it to Baltimore. And this is just a team, Baltimore, that's very uniquely built but also has a lot of skill players that if you start getting into foot races, tight ends versus linebackers or Lamar Jackson versus the front seven or Ingram versus the front seven, those are foot races that you're probably going to lose most of the time, especially because of the motions that they use and the different RPO elements and option elements that they use. They're designed to get those guys into space and get those guys leverage and get those guys running start a lot of the times as well. So if you don't really get into people's faces and disrupt what's going on and try to be physical with them, then you're going to see what you saw on Sunday, which is just a bunch of guys running around freely there is a great clip that you have on your twitter feed and nobody breaks down film on twitter and provides uh analysis the way you do evan you do a great job with this but the misdirection uh on the tight end uh, you're very welcome to uh on the tight end uh rollout to hayden hurst was a thing of beauty for baltimore yeah, that was one of their staple plays in this game. Just really roll Lamar Jackson out of the pocket, have the tight end go from strong side to the weak side of the formation across the field, run those shallow crossing routes, and they were able to really get the Patriots linebackers and sometimes their safeties into just misdirection mismatches. So the, the flow of the play is going to their right. They bring the tight end back across the formation to the left. So those initial steps for whoever's in that zone or covering a man-to-man is going to be in the opposite direction of where the tight end is moving. So again, if you don't get hands on that guy, if you don't redirect him, if you don't slow him down somehow, you're already at a disadvantage of the way that the play is moving and the way the play is flowing. So it's really next to impossible for a guy like Dante Hightower in that particular play to recover at that point if Hayden Hurst is running full speed already. He's already out-leveraged, and he's already kind of in a no-win situation at that point. So I think if they play Baltimore again, it's really going to be a much different game plan. You can't play cat and mouse with a cat and mouse team, right? This is a cat and mouse right. team. This is a, you're, you're playing a little bit into their hands when you do that. You really need to bring the sledgehammer. Well, so you know what the obvious question every Patriot fan is asking themselves, why doesn't uh, 
every team that plays the Patriots try to do from here going forward, of course, do what Baltimore, um, did on Sunday night. Why, why don't they just copy? It's a copycat league. Why don't they just do that against the Patriots? Well, I think the biggest reason is, is that Baltimore's personnel is really unique, right? Not a lot of teams have Lamar Jackson. Maybe no team has Lamar Jackson. Now, teams like Houston or Dallas, who are on the Patriots' schedule, have two really good running quarterbacks that can also throw, but the scheme is different. And that's the other thing, is the coaching of Baltimore is just superb. So even if they have the running quarterback element like Baltimore has, and they have an ability to run an option-style offense and do the things that Baltimore did, do they have then three pass-catching tight ends, and do they have an offensive coordinator that's going to be able to install in the week a system just like Baltimore's? Right. Baltimore, they're a veer offense. They're a wing-T offense in, at their core. That's their core concepts, all these option plays, and the tight ends and fullbacks moving before the snap and changing the strength of the formation by motioning guys across the ball. Those are all kind of veer option wing-T type things. Those are things that only come when you practice them every single week for months on end, all the way back to OTAs in the spring and training camp, and you get that continuity and you get that type of thing down. That's not something that some team like Dallas or the Eagles coming up here can just install overnight and start running at a high level like the Ravens did on Sunday night. So that that's the biggest difference is this offense is so different than what everybody else is running at the NFL level that it's unique to its own, to Baltimore and to Lamar and to that system. So to copy it, yeah, you could copy elements of it, but to really install this entire offense and just kind of go at it a whole different way than what your team is used to doing. Like if let's take the Eagles, for instance, the Eagles run a West Coast scheme. It's the same scheme that Andy Reid runs in Kansas City. It's extremely different than what the Baltimore Ravens just did. It's They're not even really related. They actually, the West Coast scheme came along after this kind of veer wing T system in order to update the passing schemes, right? Because the wing T thing is all about running the football. So they bring the West Coast into the NFL to start throwing the football and taking advantage of that. And really, that's a completely different scheme than what you saw against Baltimore. So is Philadelphia now going to go and install a veer part of their package of your package into their offense just as a game plan wrinkle for the Patriots maybe they can get in two or three plays that they can feel comfortable running in a game but they're not going to be able to run it on repeat like Baltimore did speaking with Evan Lazar our expert football analyst covering all things Patriots in the NFL for CLNS media Football season is indeed in full swing. Get into the game with our exclusive online sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today and you'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional football. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser. Straight bet, parlay, or even tease your way through the season. You can even bet on wild proposition bets. Evan, you'll like these two that uh, we came up with. Will the Jets head coach Adam Gase survive until the end of the season with his dumpster fire of a squad after giving the uh, Dolphins their first win of the year last week? Uh, certainly, I think uh, people are starting to wonder about that. And what will happen first, Evan? I want, I want your opinion on this. The okay. 8-0 Niners lose a game or the 0-8 Bengals win a game? Ooh, I would have to, I don't know their schedules off the top of my head, but I'm going Niners lose 
I think that I think I don't think the Bengals are going 0 and 16, and I don't think the Niners are. I think the Niners are going to lose a game here coming up shortly. All right. Well, you can certainly uh, get in on the action at betonline.ag if you, the fan out there, are wondering exactly the same thing and have an opinion. Get the fastest two-market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head on over to the website today, or you can use your handy mobile device to join and use that promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus, betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Evan Lazar of clnsmedia.com. It is, of course, the bye week coming up for the New England Patriots, and what better time than now to give out our midseason report card? I'm, I was never, uh, dreaming of being a teacher when I was younger, Evan, but I do think it's kind of fascinating, uh, once a year or so. I don't go nuts about it. I do, I'm not somebody who is really into the weekly report card, and there are a lot of people out there like Phil Perry who do a fabulous job of it, but I like once a year, like in the middle of the season, to kind of get a check on what uh, the opinion is of experts on different players and personnel groups on the Patriots. You know where we're going to start. Might as well start right at the top, Evan. What is your mid-season grade for Tom Brady? Needs improvement, meets expectation, or exceeds expectation, and certainly in his case, um, incomplete is not an option. <laughs> I would say... I'm teetering, but I'll, I'll lean toward exceed expectations. I think there are elements of Brady's game right now where he's pressing at times because of what's around him. And that has led certainly in the past to this season already to a lot of turnovers that I think are uncharacteristic of him. I think his play in the red zone especially could be better. You know, he's a little bit too lackadaisical with the ball. He almost had another interception. Earl Thomas almost picked him off on the goal line on Sunday night. So I'd like to see him play better in the red zone. But the way that he has elevated this offense with the offensive line being in shambles and the receiving position being what it is in the running game and all that kind of stuff, I think if you put another quarterback on this team that is like a replacement level, an average NFL quarterback, and then you look at what the team is with Tom Brady, you'd see a pretty big difference. Julian Edelman. Exceeds expectations for sure. He's, he's been along with Brady, the best and most constant player that they've had on offense coming in week in and week out and being the lead receiver on the team. And now seeing a lot more attention and seeing top corners like against Baltimore, he had Marlon Humphrey, who's their best cover corner on him all game. And he still led the team in receiving yards. I know he had the fumble, but you kind of, sometimes you got to let him have one bad play here or there, right? So, I think that Edelman has been absolute nails for the most part. And again, similar to Brady, I don't know where the team would be if they didn't have Edelman out there. James White. I would say that he's right in the middle. I I think that some of it with James White is usage and maybe saving him a little bit for the second half of the season and the postseason. Last year, remember, he kind of ran out of gas towards the end of the season because they used him so much at the beginning of the year. So I think this year they're trying to go with the opposite approach and go and have him be strong at the end of the season instead of the beginning of the season. So I think there's some element of saving him a little bit here, but he's been good when he's given the opportunity. Sony Michelle. 
below expectations. You know, I hate to rag on Sony because everybody seems to be ragging on Sony right now. The blocking up front is obviously a major component to this. They've tried to get him more involved in the passing game, and he's had his glimpses of hope in that area, but there's certainly room for improvement. He uh, ran a wrong route on Sunday where he broke inside, and Brady was expecting him to break outside, and, and Brady threw the ball over his outside shoulder incomplete. So there's little things like that with his route running and his ability to contribute in the passing game that I still don't think are there. As a runner, the vision between the tackles, I don't think it's completely regressed because a lot of it is about being in tight quarters and trying to figure out how to get something out of nothing but it isn't as crisp and he hasn't been as decisive as he was last year not putting his foot in the ground and going as much and kind of pitter-pattering in the hole a little bit I would say and also at times and Ivan Fears talked about this last week when we had coaches available assistant coaches availability he's just got to get upfield Right. If there's nothing there, just take the three yards in the cloud of dust and live to play another down. Don't dance in the backfield. Don't try to create something out of nothing. Uh, uh, you know, you can do that every once in a while, but you don't want to make a habit out of it. I hate to beat up on the group that I'm about to beat up on, but the tight ends, they've not been good. And I assume you would feel the same way. Yeah, they've not been good. I, I wonder though, and I kind of put the onus on the tight end position on Bill the GM and Casario in the front office for sure. giving that position what it's been given between the draft and free agency and really relying heavily on essentially a rookie, a redshirt rookie and Ryan Izzo, Matt Lacoste, who obviously can't get on the field, and then a 38-year-old Ben Watson. I don't know if those guys have necessarily played poorly for their expectations, but obviously the position, they neglected the position, and it's showing. Jacoby Myers. I think he's exceeded expectations. I don't know how you could really say otherwise when he was an undrafted rookie that just made the team in the first place. That that seems to exceed expectations on its own. And then when he does get in there, he's productive when Brady throws him the ball. He seems to be able to get open and catch the football. And obviously they've gone out and traded for Sanu. They're expecting Harry to come back. He only played one snap Myers on Sunday night in the entire game. So I, I think that they see guys that are more talented and they like to develop and really invest in heavily in the long term that are better than Myers in their eyes right now. But just making the team as an undrafted rookie is impressive. And we're going to wrap up the offense right here with uh, the offensive line. Yeah, below expectation. But again, I do think that there's an element of the guys that they do have out there, Newhouse, Ted Karras. I think Karras has given you everything that he's got. I really don't think that you could expect Karras to play any better than he has. Newhouse, I think same thing. It's just that he's just not very good. You know, I think that he's really given it his all. He's just not his foot speed and the, the his body movement and change of direction is just not there for a guy that's going to play on the left side at the NFL level. So again, the injuries, the situation with David Andrews, all those things kind of added up to us being in this spot. But at the same time, Dante Scarnecchia said it best. They just simply have to play better. Speaking with CLNS media football expert and columnist, Evan Lazar. Do you want to be able to watch every single NFL game this season, no matter where you live or what team you root for? This season, there is a proven way to watch every football game live for a fraction of the price of DirecTV or NFL Sunday ticket, ExpressVPN. Here is how it works. Listen up. 
Use ExpressVPN to buy the International Game Pass. ExpressVPN lets you spoof your location so you can buy the International Game Pass for just $125 and stream all of the games. Let's say you live in, well, Boston, and but there's a problem. You root for the Bengals. I don't know why you would, but you root for the Bengals and stream all of their games. ExpressVPN comes with apps for computers, mobile and digital media players like Firestick TV. Plus, use ExpressVPN every time you go online to keep all your network data encrypted. Make sure that when you do that, you keep it secure and safe from hackers. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN I've tried and costs less than $7 per month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Enjoy all 256 games of the 2019 NFL season with the world's most trusted VPN, ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash beat. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash B-E-A-T for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash beat to learn more. Back with Evan Lazar of clnsmedia.com. All right, we got the offense out of the way. I think we have to start with one of the uh, highlights of the team in 2019, uh, the Patriots team in 2019, and that is their defense. And specifically, I'm going to start with the secondary, and we're going to go right to the top, Stephon Gilmore. Best cornerback in the NFL. That uh, answer that yeah, hard, yeah, hard to, hard to really argue with that. Everything that the Patriots defense does with Gilmore, it really – it spearheads everything else because he's got the ability to take one guy on an island and take him out of the game basically by himself, maybe with a little bit of post-safety help at times like he had it with Odell in that game against Cleveland, but for the most part by himself, which really unlocks the Patriots to do other things with the 10 other guys that they're able to roll the coverage one direction or help out another corner and another side of the ball with the number two receiver or a number one and Gilmore on the number two. And then they can also unlock what they do in the front seven with the exotic blitz schemes with the amoeba defense and the zero blitzes and all that kind of stuff. It all starts with Gilmore. And if the defense gets back on track and plays like it had for the first eight games of the season for the rest of the season, then I really think that Gilmore is going to finish. Maybe he might even win Defensive Player of the Year, but he's going to finish in the top five in the voting. Well, that's a lofty expectations. What about safety play? Yeah, I really think the safeties have played well. I, I would say exceed expectations for those guys too. Devin McCourty's obviously been nails. He his ability to play center field has really elevated this team to a different level this season defensively and also his ability to walk down into the box and rush the passer a little bit or cover some tight ends or backs out of the backfield or whatever the case may be, play some robber obviously in the middle of the field too and and try to intercept some passes as he has this year. I think Patrick Chung, when he's been out there, he's been a little banged up. He's been pretty solid as well, giving them what they expected him to give them this year. And how about Terrence Brooks kind of coming out of nowhere, too, and playing a little bit on defense and playing a lot more, I think, than people expected when they made that signing. And then Harmon is, you know, just the experienced vet that they have that can go and play center field and replace him. McCourty so they can move McCourty to a matchup or move him down into the box. So that group along with the corners just gives them so much flexibility. All right. In the front seven, I'm going to give you a couple of names and we can, you can give me your quick one, 
word answer or, you know, one line answer, and then give me a brief explanation as to why. And again, we'll try to do this, Evan, uh, in rapid fire, uh, format. I'm going to go, so I'm going to start with Kyle Van Noy. Excellent player. Great scheme fit, great football IQ, very versatile, very athletic. He's like your new Mike Frable. Wow. So exceeds expectations. Yeah. Jamie Collins. Exceed expectations as well. Maybe if there was like, I don't know if you can consider him a comeback player of the year candidate, but if a bounce back player of the year candidate, something like that. Dante Hightower. I would also say he's exceeded expectations too. Now in coverage, he's had his struggles over the last couple of weeks, obviously gave up a touchdown against Cleveland, gave up a few passes against Baltimore, but when they use him properly and they keep him out of space, he's been awesome, and he's really moving a lot better this year, I think, than in recent seasons. Somebody who we haven't talked a lot about, and I haven't heard a lot of buzz about him, Jawan Bentley. Yeah, Bentley, I think he's in a tough spot because I think Collins kind of took a lot of his snaps. I would say he hasn't met expectations, maybe below expectation. A little bit more plotting and a little slower this year than I think he was last year. He's had some trouble with some run fits over the last couple of weeks. But I still have hope for Benley, but I think that we've kind of thrown some water on that fire where last year everybody kind of thought he was, until he got hurt at least. But when he was coming back this season from the injury, I think a lot of people thought that he was going to be a starting caliber linebacker, and I don't think he's quite been that. One of the most underrated parts of this team, I think, has been uh, the middle of the defensive line. Lawrence Guy, Danny Shelton, Adam Butler. Lawrence Guy is one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL. That guy does not get the love that he deserves. Obviously, I know that those guys, all three of them, had a rough game, a go of it against Baltimore. But Lawrence Guy really was the one guy that was actually making some plays against the Ravens. The one thing that he does better than, I think, anybody else that I've seen across the league maybe is take on double teams in the running game. The ability to split those, ability to play with good pad level and hold up at the point of attack against double teams, and really just a sturdy, sturdy guy in the middle of that defense. Rookie class, who has stood out to you and who needs improvement? Well, it's, you know, not a lot of them have gotten on the field, unfortunately. I think Chase has been great. You know, Winovich, I would like to see him even play a little bit more. I think if John Simon wasn't playing so well, he would be playing a little bit more. But uh, his ability to rush the passer is obvious. Obviously, his motor is obvious. Uh, he's been a really sound player for him. But they also you can't sleep on Jake Bailey, honestly. He's been great. Uh, three punts again, and Dion didn't sign the 20 against Baltimore and uh, has been one of the better punters in the league. I, I think that he's got an inside chance uh, at an all-pro season, maybe a second-team all-pro nod this year. Josh McDaniels. I think he's met expectations. I don't think he's been bad by any means. I don't think that he's been great either. The play calling can sometimes be, I wouldn't call it predictable, but just they do have tendencies, and those tendencies teams seem to be kind of picking up on some of them. They're trying to get out of that tendency about Sony Michelle only being in the game on running plays, and they've sort of broken that trend a little bit over the last course of, I would say, a month or so, which is good news for him. There is an element, though, I will say with McDaniels, and they do a great job of scheming guys open. So I, I, this is, you know, really kind of uh, you're, you're picking on him here a little bit. But I will say that certain guys, they seem to be having a good run here with Sanu already. 
But when Josh Gordon was here, I really didn't think that they got him as involved as they could have. And then he left, and Nikhil Harry, similar thing. Obviously, it's only been one game, but they need to get something out of Nikhil Harry this year, even if it's just a limited role where he's in on red zone plays or third down or certain situations and certain matchups. But I would really like to see them get Nikhil Harry on the field and get him producing in some capacity. And I, I kind of put that on McDaniels and a little bit on Brady too, but mostly McDaniels. Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick handling the defensive coordinator responsibilities. Yeah, exceed expectations. I mean, Steve has been calling the plays, and he's been doing a really good job at it. But basically what they're doing is Gerard Mayo is kind of calling the front seven, and Steve is calling the secondary. And then obviously Bill is overseeing all of it. But those two guys and Bill have really put together some really great game plans, some really great in-game coaching up until the Baltimore game at least. And I can't say enough good things about what those guys have done. And we're going to wrap it up with the man in charge at the very top, Bill. <laughs> uh, I think that Bill always exceeds expectations. I, I, I think that the Baltimore game is going to linger and leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth because it's the most recent game. But he's really gotten a ton out of this team. I mean, to go 8-0, I know their schedule was soft, but to go 8-0 with a team that really didn't have an offensive line for a while there, that had injuries at receiver and guys coming in and out at receiver as well, didn't really have a tight end, lost their fullback. And to get that team and that offense coached up and to obviously have a dominant defense and to get to 8-1 and at the bye week I think is a great coaching job. If they had played better against Baltimore, even if they had just showed a little bit better in that game, I still think he'd be, I still think he is in general, but he might be the front runner at this point, along with Sean Payton probably for coach of the year. And Kyle Shanahan maybe, I guess, is in that running as well. But uh, Belichick every single year, you could give that guy coach of the year. What are you doing this weekend for your bye? I'm going to go watch some games on Sunday and actually enjoy a football Sunday for, uh, you know, once a season that we get to and do it. You know, I think that's one thing that when you're not on the beat and, you, and you're not covering a team before, you don't realize that you don't get to just sit on your couch from one to midnight on Sundays and just watch football all day or go to the bar or go hang out with friends or whatever kind of your routine is on a Sunday. We are always, you know, at the stadium, which I'm not complaining about, of course, but it's also an element of kind of losing that Sunday feel of uh, of having games to watch all day, kicking back, drinking a beer, doing whatever it is that you do. So uh, get to enjoy one Sunday a year, and this will be it. Or calming down somebody who's uh, losing his shit because the microphone cable blew out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to deal with Alex Barth this Sunday. So it's all, it's all positive. No, believe me, Alex Barth is a lot... Uh, less uh, of a diva uh, when something goes wrong than I am. When something goes wrong, like equipment goes bad pregame, I'm not a great person to be around. And you handled me so well. You let me be me, and I greatly appreciate that, Evan. Believe me, more than words can say. Uh, people uh, in my life, including you, always tell me that I'm a good person to be around when they lose their shit because I am very calm mannered. <laughs> so I, I just sit there and I know very well firsthand from dealing with uh, my lovely mother and sister, who I love dearly, that uh, you just don't say things, you know, you just kind of sit there and let them let them 
vent and let them go through their emotions, and then eventually you come in with something reasonable, you know? And <laughs> so you, you come just, in with a, a backup plan, like a right. cord that actually works into right. our recording devices, yeah. and yeah. you yeah. save the exactly. night. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, if anybody uh, on the beat deserves uh, a day to themselves to have a cold adult beverage and watch some football, it is you, sir. It's uh, great working with you on the beat. You know that. Have uh, nothing but professional love for you for all the work you do and everything you do for CLNSmedia.com. It's just phenomenal work. And uh, uh, we will, uh, I'm sure, catch up next week sometime and, and uh, break down some some more football talk, uh, even if it's not on this uh, terrific podcast that I enjoy hosting every week. I'm sure I'll catch up with you down the road. Absolutely. On to Philadelphia. On to Philadelphia. We, uh, I think we have Team CLNS, the entire crew down there, for yep. the uh, November 17th game at Lincoln Financial Field. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast and thank our great guest, as always, Evan Lazar. Follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Also want to thank our great sponsors, BetOnline.ag and ExpressVPN. For producer Mike Alonji and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.